Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 19. Gospel of John chapter 19. And I want to read, I want to read verses 17 and 18. And then I want to skip to verses 34 and 35. As I stated earlier, I've titled this message, There's Power in the Blood of Jesus. John 19, beginning at verse 17, and also verse 18, And he, that is Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two others with him, two thieves, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now, go with me to verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. Let me pause and tell you that this moment in the story, I've skipped so far ahead that Jesus has not only been crucified, now he is dead. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. There was a flow of blood. Have y'all ever heard Jesus shed his blood? To shed means to pour. Blood and water came out and John said, and he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth. He's talking about the blood flowing from Jesus. Why is it so important? So that you may believe. Have a seat this morning, please. Approximately 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, was crucified by Roman soldiers under the authority of Pontius Pilate. This isn't a myth. This isn't a fairy tale. Not only do the Gospels tell us this story, but extra-biblical records exist that testify to the death of Jesus on a cross. He suffered, he bled, and he died on the cross. Blood flowed. It was a bloody, gory execution. Blood flowed from the beating, the scourging that he experienced on his back. History tells us that at times the Roman soldiers would beat the victim so mercilessly and so many times. And the flesh was ripped away so much that you could look through the back and see the organs in the person's body. Blood flowed. He, he stood. It flowed down the back of his legs. He stood in a pool of his own blood when they beat him. Blood flowed down his face and caked in his beard and mustache. When they beat him with rods and then shoved a crown of thorns in his side, piercing his skin, blood flowed from the lacerations caused by the nails in his hands and his feet. They dripped down from the cross on the ground. The blood ran from his feet down the cross and pooled at the foot of the cross. Blood flowed from his side when a Roman spear penetrated his chest cavity and 
pierced his heart. Literally piercing his heart. And when he pulled it out, the blood in the heart flowed out with water. When talking about the cross, you have to talk about the blood. And while talking about a bloody death may be uncomfortable, it is necessary for you to adequately understand the meaning behind the death of Jesus. Because the blood is the key component to the plan of salvation. If there's no blood, you're still in your sins. If there's no blood, you're, you haven't been cleansed. If there's no blood, you're not justified. If, if there's no blood, then the righteousness of Christ has not been imputed or reckoned to your account. If there's no blood, you've not been adopted as, as a child of God. You're still a son or daughter of the devil. If there's no blood, you're on your way to hell. The blood is the key component. When I talk about the blood, when the Bible talks about the blood, there are really two references in the, in the usage of that word. The, the first is that the blood refers to Jesus' life or his life source. Leviticus 17, 14 says the life of the body, of the flesh, is in the blood. Talk to a medical doctor. Hey, I don't even need a doctor to tell me this. You lose too much blood. You know what? You'll die. The life is in the blood. We just took communion. In Luke chapter 2, verse 20, was the verse I referred to earlier. It says, likewise, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, listen, which is shed for you. Jesus was saying that by pouring out his blood, I'm giving my life for you. He literally gave his life for you and for me. So it refers to his life or his life force. But there is another reference when sometimes the Bible talks about the blood of Jesus. It is a reference to Christ's death on the cross. Let me give you an example and then preach from it. Romans 3.25 says that God set forth Jesus as a propitiation by his blood, meaning by his sacrifice, see, by his death on the cross. Propitiation. By his blood. I bet that's not a word you use in your everyday vocabulary, is it? That's one of those $12 theological words that is chock full of meaning. In its simplest meaning, in our simplest understanding, it means that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the, cross, the shedding of his blood, appeased the wrath of God concerning our sins. Now, some people will argue and say, I just cannot believe that a loving God would personally exercise wrath against his creation. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe that a loving God would send somebody to hell. Well, let me help you with that. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You send yourself there. Ask a criminal who has been caught of a heinous crime and he stands before the judge. Does the judge send the criminal to hell? Or, or to jail, rather. No. The criminal broke the laws of the land. And the law says that if you do that, then you go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And regardless how the judge, the judge might be the most loving judge in the world. But he's got to be just as well as loving. Some people just want a one-sided God. I'm preaching right now. 
Some of us lived under the other side, and we always thought God was ready to slam us in any split second for anything we messed up on. Come on, some of us grew up under that. But then some people say they don't see the justice of God. They just see the love. Not a loving God. No, you don't. You, you send yourself there. So why would you think it's strange that God would be righteously mad or upset due to our sins? Why would that be strange to think that he would upset because we choose sin over him, because we do wicked, selfish things that violate and offend his holy, perfect nature. Don't you get upset when somebody does you wrong? What do you say when somebody does you wrong? That's not right or that's not fair. So how much more can the righteous judge who is perfect and from whom flows all morality, for he is the standard of right and wrong? be upset because of our sins. So, God was only being true to his holy nature. He's mad. He's upset. There's wrath. There's judgment pending. We're under condemnation. And yet that loving God who was being just and holy wanted to save us. So what did he do? He sent Jesus to die, watch this please, and bear the wrath of God on our behalf. If Jesus did not bear the wrath of God, then y'all, all that wrath is all still stored up against you. But I got good news for you today. It's not. He did bear our wrath. He gave his life so that you wouldn't lose yours. He took the wrath and the judgment on himself so that when you put your faith in what he did, God can give you his righteousness. I want to preach something I don't know if I've ever preached before. But now, you know, the longer you preach, you can't remember everything you preach. But I don't know if I've ever preached this before. But I saw this, and I'm going to preach it today. It's just a little play on something. You know, when you die, you're supposed to go to hell. Jesus even went to hell, so you don't have to. Do you know that? When the breath left his body and he cried, it is finished, his his body still hung on the cross, and Joseph of Arimathea wrapped it and put it in a tomb, and it laid in a tomb for three days, but his spirit was out. And Ephesians says that he went into the heart of the earth to upper Sheol, upper Hades, which is hell. Hell has two compartments. Now, he didn't go into lower Hades because those people that sinned and rebelled against God, they made their decision and they're down there. But when you died in the Old Testament, you didn't go straight to heaven. They were Listen, they were looking forward to the work of Jesus. We look back. It's finished, but they were looking forward to it. So the work wasn't done giving them access to Full access to the throne of God. So they were in a place called Abraham's bosom. You read about this in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. It was a place of comfort. And every righteous person that had ever put their faith in God, for all the times up to that point, was in Upper Sheol, Hades. And that day, in hell, and that day Jesus went into the heart of the earth, and when he walked through the door, there was a gasp and jaws dropped. And he said, you know that one y'all been looking for for all these years? I am he. I'm the one. Isaiah, I'm your suffering servant. Micah, I'm the one that was born in Bethlehem. I'm the one. I'm the one that was born of a virgin Mary. I'm the one that you look for. I'm the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. I know you've been stuck down here for a long time. You've been waiting for things to get completed, but I just came here to tell you just a few minutes ago, I just declared out loud, it is finished. 
It's done. The work is done. You don't have to stay here anymore. I've conquered sin. I have made a way, a new and a living way to God. So y'all pack your stuff. Let's go because we're going to heaven. I'm taking you to heaven. The Bible says that he led captivity captive and ascended on high. That's why when the thief was on the cross and he was putting his faith in the Lord, so he died after Jesus. Jesus said, today you will be with me, not in Hades, but you will be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross might have been the first one to go through the pearly gates outside of that group. But he was the first of many, and I plan to go through them one day. How about y'all? Because of Jesus. Romans 5, 9 says, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Let me just show you two things. I'm saved from God's present wrath and judgment because I've placed my faith in Jesus, in, in, in his blood, in his atoning work. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, I think we got that settled, right? But let me show you something else. I am saved from God's future wrath and judgment on sin. Revelation 20 says that there's a day when every sinner will stand before the great white throne judgment of God. This is sobering. If you're a sinner, this is sobering. Every sin you've ever committed, you have to stand before God. Some people don't want to believe this. I don't care whether you believe it or not. It's going to happen. You will stand before God. I don't want to be accountable to anybody. I'm sorry. God made you. You're accountable to him. You have to stand before God and give an account. I don't believe it. Doesn't matter if you don't believe it. Are you willing to take that risk? Every unrighteous person will be judged according to their works and give an account to God for their rebellion and refusal to accept Christ. Hebrews 9:27 says it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. But listen. I won't be in that crowd that day. You ever you ever been in court? I have. I've been in court, I'm still thinking, I've been on the stand, I have been in the jury, but I'm here, I don't, not that I can remember, I don't know if I've ever sat in the, what I call the gallery. You know, when you watch the, the, the shows uh, where they're having court cases, the, there's, there's, a bin, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fence, they put a fence in the courtroom. It's not a fence, it's a barrier, it's a partition. Kind of looks like a fence, and all these people are sitting back there watching. Right? They're not, they're not part of the court proceedings. They're just there, family members, friends, reporters. That's where you sit. That day on the great white throne judgment for all of us who are saved, we won't be standing with that crowd. We'll be up in the gallery watching because we don't have to worry about our sins. Our sins have already been taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no wrath on me. There's no judgment on me because I believe he poured it on Jesus and I put my faith in Jesus. I won't be in that crowd. I'll just be watching. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, for God did not appoint us to wrath. See, that's not my appointment. I don't, I don't have a court date. <laughs> but he appointed us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a word that I always struggle with. It is a word that's used in theology, and it can be used in other fields of study, out secular fields of study. And I had to work for years to get it right, and I might even blow it this morning. It's efficacy. That's another one of those words you don't use every day. But it's a really good word. Efficacy means the ability to produce 
an intended result. You know, if efficacy, EFF, the root word is like, like for efficient, efficiency. You look at the efficiency rating on, a, on an appliance. It's what its ability to produce, see, the best electrical situation for you. Save you money. It's efficacy rating. They knew that nobody could say efficacy, so they said efficiency. So let me use that word, the efficacy of the gospel to save a sinner is contingent, dependent upon the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. It's got to work. If it works, we're in good shape. If it doesn't work, we're in trouble. And I just wanted to come here today. I know it's simple preaching. It's really not. I'm preaching some good theology. But I just wanted to come here today and remind you all and maybe tell a few folks who need to hear it, there's still power in the blood of Jesus. It still reaches to the highest mountain. It still flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. There's power in the blood. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Let me take a verse and then preach it to you. Ephesians 1.7 declares, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Can I talk about those two things? Number one is death on the cross means I can be redeemed from the slave market of sin. I don't have time to fully develop this, but just imagine a slave market. Imagine yourself standing in chains. Sin is over there with a big purse. He owns you. We, see, see, Adam and Eve sold us out however many years ago with the Garden of Eden. You're born a slave to sin. You're born into slavery. So no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Because when try not to do wrong, and then you find out you do it anyway. Who's, who's winning? If you have to do it and you can't stop yourself, guess what? You're a slave. You're in bondage. And we sold ourselves out. But 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 says that when Jesus died on the cross, there was a transaction that occurred in heaven. By the way, I remember Dad used to preach this, and it's really good to preach it. Jesus didn't take his blood to the devil. We didn't sin against the devil. He didn't pay the devil. He didn't pay sin. We sinned against who? God. The, the payment was to God. So he takes the blood to the Father, if you will. He takes his sacrifice, see, to the Father. So this is what Peter said. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Spot. See, I was enslaved to my corruption. I was enslaved to my carnality. I had no freedom. But what did Jesus do? He came and redeemed me. He bought me back. Somebody said this. I owed a debt I could not pay. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. And he didn't use dollars. And he didn't use euros. And he didn't use pesos. And he didn't use limpiras. And he didn't use gold or silver or rubies or diamonds or bitcoins. The currency for my redemption was the ruby red blood of Jesus Christ. And he carried it to the Father and he made a way for me to realize freedom from my sin and liberty to serve God. The blood bought me back. And how many of y'all know one day there's going to be a redemption of the redeemed? That's, that's when Jesus comes back to catch us away. 
So the blood redeems us. Then through the blood there's forgiveness, Paul said in that one verse. His death on the cross means I can be forgiven of all my sins. You know, I preached a series not too long ago on forgiveness, and forgiveness is releasing the debt. Somebody sins against me, now you owe me. You owe me because you offended me, you hurt me, you whatever you did to me, you owe me. When I forgive you, I release the debt. And that's what God did. God released me from my debt of sin to him when he forgave me. And, he, and this is a cool thing. I can't do this. You can't do this. But he chose to remember my sins no more. Only a God could do that. And with that forgiveness comes cleansing. Listen to Hebrews 9.22. And according to the law, almost all things are cleansed or purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And that word means forgiveness. Cleansing and forgiveness. I want to tell you today, the blood of Jesus is a spiritual antiseptic to the filthiness of sin. We used to sing, sometimes still do on days like this, Are you washed? In the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I've told this through the years. matter of fact, I called my sister yesterday. We talked a long time. But my sister was a very little bitty tiny thing, and she heard us sing these songs in church, and she looked at my preacher father, my pastor father, and she said, I don't want to get saved. That's not something you want to hear your daughter say. And my father looked at her and said, Sonia, honey, why don't you want to get saved? She said, I don't want to get washed in all that blood. She could picture a bathtub full of blood, and she was going to have to get in it and take a bath. I know with a child's mind that, 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 that would seem make sense to connect those dots. Listen, that's not how it works. Even though the songwriter said there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. We don't have a fountain out back flowing with the blood of Jesus. That's not how it works. It's metaphorical. But even though it's metaphorical, the imagery is still powerful. And I'm here to tell you today, you may not see any red liquid, but there's still power in that red liquid that fell 2,000 years ago. And you still need it to cleanse your sins. And it will. And he'll plunge you. And he'll wash you and all your sins will be gone forever. Every vile, wicked thing you've ever said, thought, or done. Somebody said, can God save a serial killer? Yes, he can. Can God save a pedophile? Yes, he can. Can God save a homosexual? Yes, he can. Can God save an adulterer? Yes, he can. Can God save somebody who tells little white lies? Because that's just as bad as all the rest of those other sins I just said. Sin is sin. But the blood will cleanse it all the way. The blood goes to work as soon as you confess your sin. You know, when you go to court of law, you have to, you have to, how do you plead? Your honor, I plead blank. Leah loves to watch all these snapped, investigation discovered, 2020. It's one I don't go to bed with nightmares. I mean, she just gets into this stuff. And I'm like, how do you watch this and have a clear head? And they get him in the courtroom. And they say, how do you plead? You're going to have to plead some, something before God. Not guilty. Look at Edgar over there. He's a whole lot worse than I am. You want me to talk about him? I will. 
Lord said, no, I already know Edgar, and I know his life. How do you plead? I'm not that guilty. Okay, Lord, just a little bit guilty. But can't we let it slide? Some of y'all wish the Lord would be like that police officer that pulled you over and gave you a warning. Lord, can't you just give me a warning? He said, I already have. It's called the Word of God and that preacher who preached Sunday. But 1 John 1, 9, I love it. If we confess our sins, if we'll just plead guilty. You know when you plead guilty, you know what you do? You just agree with what God already knows about you. Just agree with him. When you agree with him, he is faithful and just, watch this, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse. Forgive and cleanse us from all under. How can God be just? He is faithful and just. He'll be faithful every time to forgive you. He is fair. That's fair. How can it be fair for you to cleanse me and forgive me? Because of the blood of Jesus. Getting it? So the next time you mess up and you get under conviction, you say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, please. What? Go ahead, say it. Please forgive me. It's not because you begged real good. It's not because you, you, got a, you, got a, you got a good connection with the Lord. We've got a past. No. Every time. Oh God, I feel the Holy Ghost all over me right now. Every time we mess up. Every time we have to fall on our knees and start asking God to forgive us. It is always coming because of the blood. Telling y'all the blood will never lose. You better hope the blood never loses its power because you need that blood every day. I want you to stand with me. If you're here today and you don't, don't know the Lord as your Savior, maybe you're backslidden. And all of my communicating and all that I've done today, and I'm high energy, and I love to use humor, but I love to preach the gospel, and I love to preach the word. Can I just talk to you today? Don't make excuses. Stop making excuses for your sins. Stop, stop justifying your sins. Stop, stop, the, stop the self-condoning. Stop trying to hide your sinful ways. Just agree with God and plead guilty. Confess them. God already knows what you are and what you've done anyway. Just agree with God's charges against your soul. Plead guilty. And then plead the blood. You ever heard anybody say, I plead the blood of Jesus? Do you understand what they're doing? You probably don't. When you plead, to plead is to appeal. I'm appealing to. I plead the blood. Now, some of y'all may not believe this, but I think most of us do. There are demons. There's a devil out there, and they're, I've run into demonic forces, okay? They're real, okay? If you believe in angels, you better believe in demons. They're real. 
I've seen people have to deal with demons and say, devil, I plead the blood of Jesus against you. What they're doing is they're calling the cross because how many of you know Satan was defeated on the cross? God made, the Colossians says that Jesus made a public spectacle of him triumphing over him in the cross. When Jesus got through, he had his foot on the devil's neck. And that's where he's been ever since. And if you'll just plead your case, plead the blood and say, I'm appealing to the cross. I'm appealing to what Jesus did. I don't deserve it, but please forgive me and wash me. Please, God, I don't want to be under your wrath or judgment anymore. I want to be right with you. If you'll just pray that, that kind of prayer, have faith and lean on the, the gift of God, the grace of God, guess what? It is by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourself. It's the gift of God. I've seen him do it time and again. He'll wash your sins away. I heard this years ago, and every once in a while I like to use it. It's been around a long time. There's some things I don't know, and it's true. I guess it's why I use it, because I agree with it. There are some things I don't understand. I don't. There are some things that are beyond me. There are some things I can't comprehend in this life. I don't know, Tony, how a black cow can eat green grass and give white milk. Brown cow, brown and white cow. You know, they got Oreo cookie cows. Have you all seen the Oreo cookie cows? They're, have you all seen them? They're black on either end. They're white in the middle. Call them Oreo cookie cows. They make their own milk to dunk in. You have to live in my brain. I'm telling you, it just never stops. Ask my wife. I don't know how a black cow can eat green grass and give white milk. And I don't know how God can take a black heart filled with sin and wash it in his ruby red blood and make it white as snow. But all I know is he can. And he did it for me. Did he do it for anybody else in this house? Come on, if he did, lift your hands or clap your hands or do something. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.